Welcome to episode 84 of the False Neutral Podcast. I'm Pete. Garrett and Eric are with me again for the December 2018 episode. Welcome, gentlemen. Howdy. Good evening. Uh, to start out with, uh, we got a couple of letters, one fairly recently, one a while back, and I wanted to talk about them because they're a little bit related, but it is so rare that we actually get uh, listener letters that we're going to start off with that. Uh, on our Facebook posts or our fa- Facebook page, uh, Brent sent us this note and says, hello, love the podcast. Have you guys considered bringing more people into the host roles to possibly increase the frequency of shows, more time zones, easier to schedule recording, etc. I love the format of enthusiasts talking bikes and projects. Once a month is a long wait, and it seems like even then things are cut short by conflicting schedules. Just thought I'd check as I'd like to hear motorcycle banter more frequently. Thanks for the time and effort you all put in. Thank you for loving the podcast, and thank you for uh, uh, recognizing the time and effort it takes. Brent, we're probably not ever going to do this more than once a month because we did it weekly, and it wasn't a sustainable schedule. And quite honestly, the only reason that this is something that we're going to continue doing is because I like having an excuse once a month to sit down with Garrett and Eric and find out what's up with them (laughs) and chat. The fact that it goes out in the internet and anybody listens to it is just kind of gravy for me. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, once a week with, you know, all of us having day jobs and families and all that, it was just uh, difficult to do. Um, I mean, from a scheduling perspective, I think once a month works well for us. Plus, you know, it gives us a little bit more meat and potatoes to talk about when we do record. Um, and then, yeah, I do like just having this time to talk to you guys and, uh, kind of like you, Pete, it just that it goes out to the internet is kind of a added bonus for, for me, I guess. But, um, and for anyone who listens, the one or two people that do. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Eric? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm along the same way. I, I did a, well, when we were doing it, did we do weekly or biweekly or whatever no, we it was? Did it every, we did every week for every week. Yeah, I, think, I think we did. And then I think we went to two weeks and then yeah, four weeks. That's right. Maybe. Something like that. I, I can't remember. But I well, it, it all kind of fell apart there for a while because I was so busy and I was I was caregiver for my mother in law and and there were a couple months in there that we were just whenever we could arrange it we kind of did it yep. and then I dropped out for a while and you guys yeah. were doing it and then we finally got back together and said you know it the, the yeah. trouble is if you do it too much it starts feeling like work yeah. and this is supposed and to be fun and it and I think it comes across. As not as enthusiastic if. Yep. And, and I can say that because when I did, um, Rumble Strip Radio podcast, I did it for like two and a half years and I didn't do it exactly weekly, but it was a fairly regular show. And I, and I got to episode 99 and I stopped. And the reason I stopped was twofold. One, I just burned out on it, like, especially because it was just me. And then I've tried to have a guest every week, but that didn't always work out. And we'll get to talk about the guest thing in here in a second. I'll talk about the guest thing in a second. Um, 
and if I had, you know, co-host or whatever, it's, that, that does help carry the conversation. But it's still for for let's just say the show's an hour. What that means is that, yes, it's an hour of recording, but there's also three to four hours on top of that of figuring out what the hell we're going to talk about. Pete taking the time to actually edit this thing where like a lot of time, a lot of people will just, all right, cut, boom, we're done. Pete actually clean, spends the time to clean it up so it sounds even better. Takes out all the ums and ahs and the uh, awkward pauses and when we're like looking for something. So there's a lot of production time in there. And And to Garrett's point, when I was doing Rumble Strip Radio, I was completely freelance. So I actually had a bunch of free time. But I think all of us are working, you know, 40 plus hours a week on top of having families, um, you know, and having to spend time either with significant others and or in Garrett's case, two young kids. Um, the time that we have for this, and I don't use this as an excuse, I'm just saying like there's 168 hours in a week and we're accounting for about 150 of them with 12 hours kind of as spare a week. And, and, right? we would, yeah. and we would really like to have some time to work in our shops, you know, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. And if, if if I were working in the motorcycle industry, I'd probably do this um, podcast more frequently or, or have more motivation to do it more frequently. But um, you'd see your guys's point. The time that I spend doing this is the time that I, uh, you know, have to take away from the shop and, and doing the things that I do with motorcycles. And so it, it's kind of a balance for for me and I think for the rest of us. And, and then for and for me, because I'm so heavily involved in the car industry these days, this this hour that I get a month is is like is that moment of joy where like, my God, I don't have to talk about cars and think about cars and think about <laughs> social media and marketing and content production around cars. I can talk about something I'd like. Yes, motorcycles. Cool. I don't get to spend the time, the money, the effort or whatever I want on it. But at least I get this hour, you know, hour a month. And, and you know, more than that, I think it might spoil that joy, too. So yeah. um, I think we've come to at least for us, for the three of us. This is this is the good balance. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And then I'm sorry. Then I want to make one another point here, too. And, and this goes to about scheduling guests, because I know this will come up as a thing. Scheduling guests sucks. And I know this because of having to do this a lot. So not only are the three of us in different time zones, but then your guest might be in a completely different time zone on top of that, right? Because we have four in the U.S., let alone if we try to get someone internationally, which we've done a couple times. And that is another pain in the ass because you're talking about getting someone at two in the morning in your in Europe so that Garrett's, you know, got yeah. a reasonable just, hour or the or plan the is and, to align and 6 a.m. here. So it's convenient for somebody right. else. It's like it's it's a nightmare just and, and the fact that they did then you get it all set up and then they might flake either flake out on you or they have other conflicts that come up where they can't do it. And then you got to go through that whole rigmarole to try and reschedule again. So that's. Or they have technical problems and they're not sure how to make, you know, uh, get rid of the hum behind their, their, you know, laptop mic right. or something like that. And yep. that takes us to our next letter. Uh, uh, this is a guy named Joseph who I've actually corresponded with, uh, through the, uh, ADV Rider website. We've sent private messages back and forth. And he recently sent me this. Uh, he said, I've stuck with you guys since you first started. And I want to say that I used to like it a lot better. Sorry, but it's definitely gone downhill since you went to one episode a month. You used to have guests or a theme topic every episode. Now it's just 
you guys making up stuff on the fly to fill an hour. I'll still listen, and I don't mean to complain, but I just want to encourage you to step up your game. I know you can if you try. You know what's kind of funny is I I feel like the quality of our conversation improved since going to once a month. (laughs) I agree. Yeah. But well, I think I that's I mostly attributed to the fact that you're actually doing some things worth yeah. having a conversation about instead of us yeah, going, no, none point. of us are working on anything. Uh, that's a good point. But I, I, I appreciated and I kind of went back and I said, uh, nobody likes to, to hear criticism about what you're doing, <laughs> especially when you're doing it for free. Yeah. But I kind of thought, you know, I, I'm sure you mean this as encouragement and, and constructive criticism. Uh, but again, this is, this is purely recreational. This is not something we're trying to market to anybody. Uh, the part about not having themes is, could, there's, it's probably somewhat valid. But we usually have enough about what's going on with us to pretty much fill an episode without having to have a special topic to talk about. Now, whether you like that or not, as I said, we're doing this so we can catch up with each other and you get to listen. So, yeah. And to be fair, I think that we were supposed to have a theme either on the last episode or the episode before we were going to talk about, uh, you know, Eichma and new bikes that were coming out. But you know, we went over an hour, I think, just talking about the motorcycles that I was working on and, and a few other things. And so um and, and really, I, I would disagree that we make up stuff just to fill an hour. Um, yeah, that's that's true. So. um But, yeah, the, it's. I can. Here's here's what I here's where I think it's going like you get. I would say emotionally invested in, in, in a show, TV show, podcast, you know, YouTube channel, whatever. And after a while, you think it should go this direction. And because it, it, you're thinking, Oh, they're making this for me, but we're actually, and every creator doesn't make it for somebody else. They make it for themselves. And that's kind of what this is. And when the direction that you want it to go versus the direction we want it to go, don't coincide well then there comes a you know a a divergent thing and there's been a number of either podcasts or youtube channels um where i've been you know like i liked it and followed it and then after a time i cut it off because it was either like i just they're going in a direction that i'm not interested anymore and that's fine that's that's the evolution of like human relationship you know right And, and going back to what brent was saying about having to wait a month or wanting to have more people involved in our podcast, there's no shortage of motorcycling podcasts. If you go out under the automotive category at uh, iTunes, you can find, uh, there's the Cafe Racer podcast, there's the Cleveland Motor podcast. Uh, the one I really enjoy listening to that comes out every other week is uh, Front End Chatter out of the UK. Uh, it is probably the best one out there. Uh, it's two guys that are professional journalists that, uh, do get to ride new bikes on a regular basis from the manufacturers. They cover Grand Prix racing and Superbike and it, it's a great podcast. Go listen to that. Go listen to some of the, I did find out 
just this week that uh one of the other larger pod larger circulation podcasts uh two enthusiasts uh has called it quits evidently the two enthusiasts had a little falling out and they ironically made it to episode 83 and we are recording episode 84 of ours today so <laughs> it seems to be right in that 80 90s where a lot of them peter out so yeah but i think i think there's a whole lot of people that get into this thinking it's going to be really easy and it's not going to take any effort and then they find out as uh eric was saying there's a lot of production time i go the extra mile to Try to find pictures of the bike we talk about, post that on Hooniverse and create a Hooniverse uh, article about the podcast when we do it. So uh, that cuts into time that I would like to be spending in my garage. And I don't look – I have no desire to do that more than once a month. I don't have a desire to do it less than once a month. I think this works really great. I don't have a whole lot of desire – to have anybody else get involved with our quote unquote brand. Uh, you know, the three of us are a really good, uh, mix of experience and knowledge and attitudes. And it, we've kind of found something I think really works well for us. I don't want to get together more frequently with somebody else. And I don't want somebody who's either not going to be reliable or not necessarily say things that I would want to endorse as part of this podcast. If you want to start a podcast and you have three hosts, go start it. There's nothing magic about us. Yeah. And I want to be clear. I don't think any of us are saying to not listen to the podcast or to kick the dirt or or anything else. We just want to um, define our perspective on this podcast and uh you know if that doesn't match it your expectations and then that, that is what it is but this oh, no. is just where we're coming from we're I, just three friends that happen to record our conversation once a month right and so and i was gonna i didn't mean listen to something else instead of us i was if you're saying you want to listen to a motorcycle podcast more than once a month there's a whole lot of additional stuff Mm-hmm. that you can listen to in the three weeks that you don't have one from us. So, yeah, I'm, I'm actually behind on, um, on the one that I like the other motorcycle. I only listen to one other motorcycle podcast, which is, um, paddock podcast, uh, which is, um, David Emmett's, uh, one and a couple of Jensen, Jensen Beeler's on that one. And a few other, a couple of European guys, um, because I like racing, so that's the other one that I listen to. So if you're into racing, that's a that's a good one to listen to. Although I don't think they've recorded anything in a little bit, just because it's the end of the end of the season. Uh, a couple here, but that's about it. So uh, I'm a, I'm a little behind. I haven't been doing it. the traveling. I did. I didn't listen to stuff while I was away. But yeah. Um, since we're on that topic, I'll just add that not podcast, but um, I just watched the finale of Forty Four Teeth's Italian motorcycle battle that they were doing so uh, one of the guys was he bought an older um mv agusta f4 and then the other one bought a ducati 999 and so they took him to europe and and to italy and then visited the ducati factory and the mv factory uh and it was a really good little series show on youtube um not a podcast but kind of something similar but um I don't know if you guys uh, watch any of that series, but it was 
really entertaining. And, and also just to see specifically the MV factory, it's kind of neat. It's an old like airplane. Um, it's like a series of hangars that the MV factory is running. Um, and it's pretty cool. Definitely is it the same location watching. they built the old classic MVs in? I think so. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think they've been operating there for some time. Yeah. I mean, it, it looks so understated compared to Ducati, obviously. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's really impressive, the factory. Like, just in terms of the um, characteristic uh, and, you know, the small scale of it, um, it seems like it'd be kind of a neat place to visit. So, but yeah, the, the problem, if you want some motorcycle entertainment, 44 teeth on YouTube, they are so, good. I, I have, I don't have the time to watch videos. I yeah. normally listen to podcasts in my car. I've got a 20 minute commute each way, so I can listen to 40 minutes of podcast in my car. And I made the mistake just uh, last week of, I was behind on, uh, uh, bad obsessions, motorsports, uh, Project Binky videos. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I can just listen to the video while I'm driving. And so I <laughs> plugged in my phone and I put it in the little cup holder. And unfortunately, and then immediately rear-ended the person. No, and but it was really, fr- I wasn't looking at the screen because I had it tucked <laughs> down in the console. But everything they're doing was now, if you look here at this, see, I'm running this along here and I'm like, oh, this is worthless. So I, after about yeah. five or 10 minutes, I turned it off. I was like, I got to watch this for me to understand what the heck they're talking about. So I, I have got to the point where there's not really a TV show that I watch ex- with a couple like exceptions here and there. So YouTube has become my TV. And when I run out of things that you out of YouTube, I'm like, I do something interesting. Like, Go read a book. Like, my yeah. God, what a concept. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I actually have a, you know, we'll turn on either music that I have and, and, you know, throw on my headphones and grab a book or, you know, on my either actual paper or on my Kindle and like spend an hour reading and engaging my mind. Like, wow. Hey, that's yeah. interesting. Novel so, idea. <laughs> I know. And, and I'm like, Pete, I like my commute is 10 steps or 10 to 20 steps between the bedroom, the kitchen and my office every day. So, you know, I don't have a lot of time for listening to podcasts and, and I don't know about you guys, but like, I can't listen when I'm working on stuff, like even music half the time distracts me. I, I can't have anything, let alone listen to a conversation going on in the background. So I'm the same way. Yeah. I listen to a lot of foreign language music so that I don't listen to the words and I can do that. Instrumental or foreign language is good. Cause it's just, entertaining noise and i don't get distracted trying to listen to what the meaning of what somebody's saying so yeah yeah uh was it last episode or two episodes ago i was telling you guys about the gw 250 suzuki and i had Mm -hmm. found one that uh somebody was going to uh, a dealership wanted to unload one and they basically gave me a I thought very bonafide offer of twenty seven ninety nine to ship it to my door. And I was, I was almost ready to bite on it. And I went and talked to my wife and she made the comment that she said, you know, I, I don't mind you writing, but, uh, 
a multi-day trip on a 250 makes me nervous. Uh, you're going to be, cause when we, when we do smack dab, it's, it's normally a five days. You could do it in four if you wanted to really push it. It's a day from my house to Smith Center, a day to rugby to do the ride. And then it's at least two days to get back home. And if you don't want to really push it and you're a little burned out from a 700 mile day, if you take three days and do a little sightseeing, you end up, it's a five day trip. And she said, you know, you have no control over the rain, weather, road conditions. And she's just, I just feel so much safer with you on your spider. I'm not real keen on you taking a GW250 for five days. You know, what, what are the side wind, you know, we could have a tornado. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. this is, this is the great plains in June. That's really not ideal weather a lot of times. And I thought, yeah, it's probably a good deal. And then she reminded me of why I bought my spider is that I got so sick of, uh, a one particularly bad trip on my Suzuki cruiser that I used to have. Mm-hmm. So I kind of thought about it and I thought, you know, I don't owe anything to anybody that I don't have to do that on two wheels. And I thought, okay, I, I, uh, I'm going to pass that up. Yeah. So I am, a, I found out after the fact, I, I, I was in the middle of all this. I was talking to the dealership and they were like, well, you realize we're paying for the shipping, but you need to arrange the shipper. I'm like, well, how can you give me a firm price? And they're like, well, no, whatever it is, we'll pay. But you need to arrange the shipping and you need to understand that when the bike leaves our location, we're not liable for anything. You know, you're kind of buying it where is. So, and I was like, whoa, 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 is this, there's nothing wrong with the bike. Oh no, it's in perfect shape. And then he kept going back to, and a couple of times actually said, you're buying it as is, where is. I was like, whoa, okay, that's that's not what I want to hear from somebody when I'm buying a bike sight unseen. So yeah. the whole thing just turned sour, and I said no. And I, I probably am not going to buy another two-wheeler for extended trips. And yeah. uh, And it's not a case of my wife said I can't. It was kind of a, yeah, I can see that. I kind of feel like I'm in late in the second act of my motorcycling career and I really don't want to fall on my face and flub my lines this late in the show. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, I've had a really good run. I've had a lot of close calls and, and, and part of it is, uh, uh, last summer. So probably I'm going to say five to six months ago, uh, one of my wife's coworkers, her her husband has been riding Harleys for 20, 30 years, had one of his, I don't know, whatever it is, super ultra CVO couch glides. I, I don't know what, <laughs> what model it was, but uh, he was out with some friends on a Saturday morning. He had just picked up the night, the bike the evening before from the Harley dealer having an ABS sensor or controller or something replaced under a recall rode the bike about an hour. They were going around a very easy turn. They were not speeding. He wasn't dragging the floorboards. They were just out on a rural road and there was Armco around the outside of the turn. And the guy behind him and he say exactly the same thing. He was 
just in an easy sweeping turn when all of a sudden the thing high sided and both brakes locked. So it, Weird. I, I have no reason, to, you know, I, it's kind of like the Audi, uh, unintended acceleration issue where mm-hmm. it was all driver error. He may have grabbed the front brake in a panic for some reason, but he says he didn't. And the guy behind him said he didn't look like it. And it wasn't that he was going too fast around a turn, but it high sided threw him over the armco and he's paralyzed. So oh, that geez. has really affected my wife. Uh, that, yeah. you know, she's known that I've had some serious accidents in the past. We've known some other people who had motorcycle wrecks, but this is kind of, kind of really shook her up. So, and I have to say, motorcycles are really dangerous and I kind of get her concerns. So I kind of was like, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm not in the business of trying to worry you out of selfishness for what I want to do. So, and I'm yeah. sure that whoever it was that posted on, on, iTunes will call me a negative nanny again for bringing this up. But, um, so anyways, that right after that, like a week later, one of my all time bucket list bikes, which was a Motor Marini 250, came up for sale on Craigslist. It was out in LA, but it was in excellent condition. And, and I kind of went, wow, honey, this is, this is something I really want. Now, I've always wanted one, but I have to say, and, and, and anyways, to her credit, she was like, yeah, if, if you want to go spend the money, great. No problem. And I started thinking about it and I have been a member of the Moto Marini owners club for a couple of years now, three, four years. And between their forum and their newsletter, all the stories of people, it's got a dry clutch. People are like, yeah, I either have too much play on my clutch or it drags. I can't really get it adjusted. So it's just right. And the number of people who are saying, I can't find this part. I can't find that part. They're getting old. The classic ones are getting old enough that they're really hard to find. And the 250 was a really low volume version of it. And I, I was ready to contact the guy and say, yeah, let's do that. And I really thought, why yeah this is going to be an unending project of trying to find the part i need or trying to adjust something and being frustrated the amount of just getting out and having a pleasurable day riding out in the countryside on this i just knew it wasn't going to happen so i have officially struck that from my bucket list i am never going to buy a moto marini because they're just getting too old and they just take too much effort to get right. You know, I think it'd be a lot like owning that TX 750 that I had where like, it's just the, the amount of work to enjoyment ratio. Right. Exactly. Just doesn't make it worth it. Yeah. And I think that the idea of owning something, especially when you've always wanted it is just so much more attractive than the actual ownership experience. Well, Retro Tours has one that they will rent. If I fly to Pennsylvania, yeah. I can rent one and take it for a ride. And that's on my bucket list now. I don't yeah. need to own one. I'd like to ride one one day. That sounds like a way to say that the, the thing for, for Smack Dab, if you want to do it, is find someone with a 250 you can borrow for like a week, right? Yeah. And then that way that that's your entire commitment is, you know, Either borrowing it from someone and buying them a couple cases of whatever beverage they want or, or 
or, you know, giving someone a couple hundred bucks or whatever. But well, what I want to do is I want to find somebody that I can borrow one in Smith Center, Kansas, ride it to, uh, rugby North Dakota and give it back to them and say, it's in rugby. Come get it <laughs> instead yeah. of having to go ride it another 700 miles back to the start point or wherever this person's from. So, so, but we are going to do smack dab on our spiders again this year. So good. Cool. That'd be fun. Uh, Yeah. Getting, I I looked at the logistics of like trying to rent something and it was the same thing as, was it Ethan? Who was it? Ethan who did it? Who rented the BMW? Yeah. 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 And I'm just like, Oh, the whole logistics of that is a nightmare. And, and then I'm looking at him going like, okay, then who the hell do I sell this story to? Because, <laughs> and, I, and I don't mean this bad. Like, if you're looking to get rich off of writing for Hooniverse, that ain't happening. Or if you're looking to make any kind of real money off of writing for Hooniverse, it's not a, it's, it's a springboard for something else or something to, to, to scratch the itch. So um, me finding a different outlet would be what I'd have to do. And I just, because of the time and because of the time commitment. Um, and yeah, it just, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I, I, I would, if I could make it happen, that'd be fun to do. But in, I do have news that I have actually pulled all of the stuff that was stored in my workshop out of the way and saw, was actually, saw the picture. yeah, sent you guys a picture of ac- me actually working on my little Honda 125, yeah. uh, of course, the carburetor I bought doesn't fit, and uh, I'm back to scratching my head over trying to solve some things. So, but at least I'm working on it. So there you go. And you need a universal twenty-one. You need a universal twenty-one millimeter Mikuni carburetor or something for that. I actually bought a really nice Nibby twenty-four millimeter. It Nibby is is Chinese, but it's high-end name brand. Chinese. It they, okay. they sell throughout Southeast Asia, and uh, they're actually known as building good performance parts. And this is definitely a step up from the usual pot metal Chinese no-name replacement carburetors, which is the only thing you can get in the original carburetor that Honda made in the uh, or Kian Kian yeah. made in the early seventies. Uh, um, unless you want to buy, you know, $125 to get the real thing, Honda doesn't sell them anymore. You'd still have to jet it and everything. And I was like, well, you know, if I can find something, I, I think this maybe was 45, 50 bucks. And I was like, yeah, I'll give that a try. The problem is that the only rubber, it's, it's a flange mount or a, a, a grommet mount, not a flange mount. So you need mm-hmm. a rubber fitting to bolt it on and the problem is the spacing on the studs is different on the rubber carb boot than they are on the head Mm -hmm. and the it's and i thought oh well i can just clock it 90 degrees well they're not enough different that i could that they wouldn't interfere with each other so it's like um, I'm just scratching my head. Going, ah, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I, I may just go buy a really cheap Chinese carburetor that matches or turn around and go to Sudco and buy whatever it is that I think it's a 21 millimeter Cayenne carburetor. So I don't know. Yeah. 
Well, they're making some progress. Well, I, speaking yeah. of progress, what have you been up to? Because you've made a, I've seen your pictures you posted on Facebook. You've been doing lots of cool stuff with a very cool bike. Yeah. So, um, that red and black Yamaha RD 350. Um, that was the one that was owned originally by Don Vesco. It, it hadn't run since the early 80s. Um, so I took the engine out of the bike, took it all apart because I really wanted to reseal it. Um, you know, those seals hadn't seen any oil on them for 35 years. So, uh, the second it ran, I'm sure it'd be spraying oil out of it from every direction, but, uh, um, sucking the air of- in where it should yeah, be yeah. squeaking something. Yep. So I took the engine apart, cleaned it up, um, honed the cylinders, just put new pistons and rings in it. Um, put a new clutch in it, uh, all new gaskets and seals and all that good stuff. So, um, did all that, put it back together. Um, actually just before I walked in here to do this podcast, I was setting the timing on the engine. So, um, I'll be putting the engine back in the chassis, uh, probably this weekend or early next week and hopefully starting it up for the first time in 35 years. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, then pretty soon thereafter, it's going to get listed on auction and see what it goes for. Um, interesting. So you guys saw that cafe Royale picture, the brochure. Yes. Um, and, and you said this is serial, serial number one on the yeah, bearing well, that's on this. The, the bike that is in the picture on that brochure is this bike. Really? No, it, it is. Um, it has a different paint. So the bike looks a little bit different. Um, and on the bill of sale from Don Vesco to the person that I bought it from, it, th- this bike was sold back in 84 from mm-hmm. Don Vesco to the, the next owner. Um, the bill of sale, uh, describes it as being a, it's black with gold striping. Um, with Bassani pipes and everything else, which is that bike in the picture. Um, the right because it has owner, like undrilled rotors and and yeah, yeah. I was well, comparing you know, the two, wondering if it was the same bike. It is, and you can tell there are a lot of the same parts. It has the Morris magnesium wheels. Um, on it. Oh, those, those are those aren't Yamaha wheels. No, those are oh. Morris magnesium wheels. Ah, very yeah. cool. Yeah, and it's got the RD400 brakes. Um, and, and so it, it's the same bike, just the owner that bought it after Don Vesco added the lower half of the front fairing because you could have it in either the upper portion or the right. complete right. brand lower. So mm-hmm. he added the lower and then repainted it um, and then changed the exhaust pipes and a couple other small things, but that's about it. So, but it is the same picture. In fact, when I bought the bike, it came with the original photo that you see, the Cafe Royale, that that image that's mm-hmm. on the brochure. Right. I have the original photograph, and I also have um, an enlarged photograph that's like three feet by four feet. I mean, oh, it's wow. huge. Yeah, that that should be framed, but I've never framed it. So, but yeah, kind of cool. That's, it is that, that is the bike. Very cool. Yeah. So, 
Are um, you going to do that on like rare sport bikes? Or are you going to do it on bring a trailer or what do I'm you gonna think? I'm going to do it on bring a trailer just because the volume of yeah. people that they get through there is uh, so much greater. Have you, have you and, talked to them? Not yet. I would, I would say like on because sometimes they're a little funny on on things, but if you um, contact them ahead of time, yeah, um, and tell them like the history, like what we what we're talking about now, yeah, that'll that'll make it, and then they can work on hyping that up a little bit on their end. Well, yeah, and this is totally something that bring a trailer would like to sell because a I'm listening at no reserve. Which right. is what they want because they know it's going to sell at that point. Yep. And then additionally, um, it has some Papers history, and history, and, and yeah, yeah, all the documentations it. there. So, and I don't know if you guys have looked at what prices, like what motorcycles are selling for on Bring a Trailer. It's like almost absurd. Yeah, the right ones are selling for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there is like just a few weeks ago, there is a Suzuki Titan 500 that sold. Um, which is another bike that I want to list on Bring a Trailer. Um, and it granted it was a nice Titan, but it sold for like thirteen or twelve thousand hmm. dollars. And then and then there was a um, CB four fifty, the four cylinder. Four hundred. Um, uh, yeah, CB four. It was either the four hundred or the five fifty. I don't remember the displacement, but it was a smaller displacement four cylinder CB. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, you know, kind of an average cafe build. It sold for $13,000. This was just a couple weeks ago. Wow. And, yeah, I, I was like, I can't believe it. So I'm hoping that this thing, I mean, it's going to sell for whatever it sells for, but I would love to get 10 for it if I could. The only thing that but, I think is odd about that bike is it's got the big Don Vesco you know, big tail on it because he was mm-hmm. known as making the what was it, the fat boy or the big boy seats, yeah. yep. the lard butt seats, yep. and it's got the big fairing on it, and it's got the stock tank, and the tank looks tiny, tiny compared yeah. with you know if it really was going to be a Grand Prix replica, it it looks like it should have a larger fuel tank on it. So. Yeah, yeah, but that's the yeah, way they and, built it at and, the time, and it's a it's a it's a period piece. It is, but it is still an RD350, and RD350s, yeah, there's just so many of them, they're not that valuable. Like, you know, a really nice RD350, you could buy for 4000 bucks all day long. So Yeah, it's not like know, an RZ or even a 400. Right. So, you know, the value, hopefully the, the history, the ownership, the paperwork adds good value to it. So, we'll see. I, I don't really know. The point is, is it's selling for whatever it sells for. <laughs> so, and but we, yes, we, so, should, we should say you are not selling this. You are selling this on behalf of that's, that's right. the estate of the, the former owners. So, yep. Um, so yeah, that engine's done. That motorcycle project will be wrapped up here in the next few days. I'm going to finish putting the RZ, the Kenny Roberts engine together. I haven't touched it since I've been getting this. Um, Don Vesco engine put together the Kenny Roberts engine I'll put together here uh, pretty soon and then that'll be done and then um, there's that 73 Suzuki Titan 500 I'm going to take the engine out of that chassis and whoops let's see did I lose you guys no no we got you okay 
Um, so I'm going to take that engine and just kind of do the same thing. I want to reseal it since it's, it's leaking some oil um, and it, it needs a couple things. So I'll do that. And then that one will go up for sale too. Yeah. Been busy. Eric. Well, it's the time of year around here where you need heated stuff and which would mean I would actually need to go buy like a kerosene uh, or a propane heater for my garage or a kerosene forced heater for my garage, which I'm sort of tempted to do right now um, just to get some work done. And um, we're as we record we're, we're recording this on the 13th. So from the 24th through the 1st of uh, January, well, December through January, um, I'm off work and we're not taking a trip anywhere this year. So I really don't have an excuse if I can find any kind of heat in the garage <laughs> to not. You know- I'll, I'll tell to you, not just get it done. And and honestly, like if I went out there for two hours, I could probably have it finished, you know, and, and running and, and going or at least at least start and make noise. Right. And mm-hmm. the carbs will probably need to be torn apart and gone through again because they've been sitting for a while. But yeah, it's a separate story. But um, but yeah. So, well, I have to say that when I lived in Idaho, I had the great idea of buying one of those big. Uh, fuel Sound oil, matters. uh, bullet heaters, you know, the, yep. the, mm-hmm. the big, uh, things that'll run on kerosene or number one diesel. Mm-hmm. And fortunately had a place down just at the end of the street that sold number one diesel. So it was like, Oh, this is going to be great. The problem is up in Idaho, it would get down to, you know, zero, 10 below, 15 below. You got to run those things a long time before anything that's metal in a garage warms up to the point where it's not, you know, mm-hmm. still frozen, especially when it's on a concrete floor that also needs to get warmed up to, to raise the temperature in there. I would, if I was going to want to work in the evening, fortunately I, I lived or worked within walking distance of where I lived. So I would come home at lunch plug it in, crank it up with a full tank, let that run when I went back to work, came home, had dinner, and about six, seven hours later go out, and it would be just warm enough for me to work in, in a, you know, not wearing gloves. Cause no matter how much you can, you can put on a heavy jacket, you can put on a stocking cap. There's a whole lot of things you can't do with gloves on. And if you're handling metal parts that are frozen with, bare fingers or with a, a rubber glove on you you can't do that too long so yeah. that's not an ideal solution so what i did was since i had electricity in my garage i actually had a townhouse with a detached double car garage i went ahead and got one of those uh in the wall electric heaters like they have for bathrooms mm-hmm. and just turned that down to about 68 degrees actually more like about 65 degrees all the time which was incredibly expensive because it was not an insulated garage but two of the walls were it was actually they had kind of four garages in one building so that two of them were interior walls but they weren't heated on the other side of those walls or really didn't make any difference so it cost me a lot of money but i could after work so eh, i think i'll pop out for a half an hour and do some stuff and that was practical. I didn't have to think about it six or seven hours ahead of time in order to have something 
that was yeah. in a condition that I could actually go out and work on stuff. So yeah. one of my one of my buddies, um, who's a huge hoarder, has got so much crap in his garage it's ridiculous. Um, and I think he said he's cleared out some stuff of late, but he has a heated like two and a half car garage. Uh, and it'd be one of those things of, I think I can fit the, my bike in the back of my element and it, it's all of like five miles over to his house. So like, theoretically it could, if he had the room and you know, take it over there for a day, work on it, be done with it and then just bring it back. So I have to, I have to stay with him. He's not working right now because he got laid off a little while ago and he's in a position where he doesn't really have to work for about another six months. So, yeah. um, um, so I may look at at doing that as well. So we'll we'll see. But he's that's if he has room in his garage for anything because he's like he's one of these people. He's got a couple amazing motorcycles. Like he's got um, he has a, a legit RS two fifty and RS one twenty five Aprilia GP bike. Yeah, uh, he's got both of those. He's got some other stuff. He's got a couple semi rare like sixty Ducati singles and stuff like that. Mm. But rather than finish anything. He just buys more projects. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know dude, how that is. Just stop. <laughs> Finish something, please, yeah. for the love of God. <laughs> so that that reminds me, I was going to mention to you guys that um, I so I sent you the picture of that water buffalo, the GT750. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 73. Yeah, 73. Yeah. Uh, I ended up buying that. Also. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to keep that, you know, and the reason why is because I picked that up and, and like when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this thing is just a hunk of garbage. But then, you know, I rolled over the engine and I was like, wow, this feels really strong. And now keep in mind, this engine, it hasn't run in uh, since 1996. Um, and I rolled it over and I was like, wow, this thing feels really strong. So I did a compression test and it's like 124 PSI on all cylinders, wow. like exactly the or three cylinders, exactly the same on each cylinder. And and so um, in the picture, it's missing the side covers, but I do have the side covers. Uh, and, you know, it, it's all there. Interesting. And, and the engine's really strong. And I think what I'm going to do is like not make it nice, just make it run and ride. And like, like kind of presentable, you know, like I might repaint the tank and stuff like that, but I'm not going to restore it. Yeah, I just yeah. want to ride it around for a little bit and then sell hey, it. Have you spent much time on a water buffalo? No, I've never ridden one. Oh, I, I really thought they were cool. Um, I'm going to say it was 1980. I was in high school. Uh, Motorcyclist magazine did a special you know, uh, mm-hmm. that was great bikes of the seventies and they had an article on it and they kind of profiled it. And I was fascinated with them. I thought they were really cool. And I, one came up for sale locally. It was actually two guys that had both bought. One was like a 74, one was a 76 and they were for sale locally. And I wrote it and I thought it was really cool. And I really didn't have the money. I was in high school at the time I was working at, the local sporting goods store and I was like, eh, I can't do it. But from that one ride, I really liked it. So when I was living in Idaho, I did go out and I bought a 72, the drum brake version. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, I bought it for $550 uh-huh. and turned around and sold the forks and front end to a, uh, 
vintage racer that wanted it for the vintage classes where you can't run a hydraulic disc. And I sold just the forks and the front wheel for $450. So I only had a hundred dollars into the bike and then turned around and found a local guy that was parting out a 77 GS 750 with the, uh, the, or no, it was a 70, 79 and it had mm-hmm. the cast Suzuki star cast wheels on it with a disc brake and everything. So I turned around and I got a di- disc brake cast wheel for the front of it for, I think, $100. So yeah. I ended up with the whole bike. I had $200 into it. I had replaced the steering head bearings because they were all shot and it kind of had that notchy feeling. And yeah, honestly, it was not the greatest uh handling bike. I think yeah. it was pretty well, so heavy. Well, and this one I'm sure had worn steering or a uh, swing arm bushings in it, which was a problem with those. Yeah. And it had oversprung rear shocks with no damping that it, 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 it did not inspire confidence in the turns. It was a little yeah. wallowy. It had a little bit of a head shake if you got it above about 70 and it had a wind jammer fairing that I pulled off and, and just got it back naked. But I, I only had it for, I don't know, 18 months maybe. Uh, and I, I actually bought a straighter chrome three into one chamber for it, which was really designed to, to give it really nice torque off idle. Mm-hmm. And I never put it on. I ended up selling that with the bike when I got rid of it, but they're neat. They are just. Yeah. There's something well, about that motor that is fascinating. I, as as is like okay, maybe you'd want to do something with the seat just to clean it up yeah. a little bit. Well, but yeah. Like, so the, the tank the tank almost has that perfect patina, but I'm sitting there looking at it, going like, okay, and throw a set of like like tire wise like tracker style tires on that thing, yeah. and yeah. you're done. Yeah, that's yep. like it just has that perfect patina to it. Yeah, right. I, I so, see exactly what you're saying. And, and so when I first saw it, I was like, oh, get this away from me. I don't even want to look at it. It's horrendous. <laughs> but then um, so I started like, you know, actually looking at it and, and thought, well, you know, it's all there. And then what parts it does need. Um, I started looking around at, at Suzuki uh, GT750 parts and there are a lot of things you can still get NOS that are not that much money because really? there must be still a ton of stock for them well you know and, and, back and, in the and day also, they were known as bulletproof motors i mean right but in addition um a lot of parts are reproduced in fact um you can get new fork stanchions for 150 dollars. wow because these ones are rusty um but i can get new fork stanchions uh for 150 bucks and then um you know i can get a a set of rear shocks i'll just put a seat cover on it and then uh, fix the gauges, uh, you know, and just ride it because, yeah, yeah. like, I- I'm into it right now for three hundred bucks. That's what I bought. Oh, jeez! Oh, stole you that stole thing. that! Oh, yeah. man! Like you well, could turn around and sell that. You could turn around and sell it as is for like two grand. Yeah. No, I don't know if you get two grand. Yeah, no. Nah, if it if it runs, well, if see. it runs, if it runs and rides. As is two grand, I, I think. If it if it ran in road, which would take some effort to get it to that point, right? But, right? Right? You know, it's a running and riding water buffalo. I mean, 
that's worth a decent amount of money. Because like you said, Pete, the prices for those are just getting kind of silly. Yeah. It, what's really heartbreaking is that 76 that I almost bought was $900. And yeah. the guy's like, I'll take 850 for it. Now, granted, this was 1980, but, or 81. Yeah. And I was. My friend, uh, Tom Beisheim, um, at one time had, I think he had four. And then the parts, not only to fix the four or make the, get the four exactly correct, but then another, all the parts to like build two more after that. Yeah. Um, but he was hey. kind of, kind of like Pete, kind of like your, um, your wife's friend. Uh, his husband, like he, this is God, five, six years ago now, I think, um, was out on a ride with some friends in California where he lives and on his, uh, hyper, uh, hyperstrata. What, what, what's the Ducati touring? Uh, Multistrata. You know, uh, Multistrata. Thank you. It could, I could, multi hyper something. Hyper yeah. Multistrata. Um, and same thing, like he had it in the shop and something happened with like the, ABS sensor or something with the front wheel or something and it locked up on him, something in the brake locked up and it high sided him off a, not quite off a cliff, but not far from it. And he had to be life flighted out. His back is screwed for the rest of his life and he can barely walk and he has to chew like six Viking in a day just to be able to move. And so he ended up like, I had a chance a few years ago, like, well, if you want to come out and get it like five grand, you can have everything. And I'm just like, <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, you're like 2,000 miles away. So, yeah. but even then, like five years ago, water buffaloes were getting like desirable and, and starting to go crazy on pricing. So it's only gotten yeah. worse since. So the thing, the thing that sealed the deal, why I like really wanted this bike, and I had no idea bikes this early had them, a gear indicator. Yeah. It, it has oh, wow. a digital gear indicator. And I, I don't just mean like, you know, neutral. I mean, like, it'll tell you one, two, three, four, five. It'll tell you in a little digital readout in the dash what gear you're in. And, and we're I, talking about 1973. And I think 73 was the first year. 72 didn't have yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. It, that, that, that blew my mind when I found that out. <laughs> Had to have it at that point. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, at five hundred dollars, you could part it out and still make all your money back. Yeah. And well, some, the, so. the engine alone, especially with that kind of compression, yeah, it's it's worth pretty good money. Yeah, yeah, that's so. awesome. So yeah, just just available locally. Uh, this came from the collection. Oh this no, was that, this was the same same estate it's as totally. the guy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nice. So, um, I, I bought that. I don't know if I mentioned it to you guys also that, um, there's a Suzuki T500 in about the same condition that I also bought. Kind of the same thing. The engine's super strong. Uh, it's actually maybe in a little bit better condition than this GT750. Um, so I bought a 73 T500, the 73 GT750. The Kenny Roberts, the other <laughs> RZ, <laughs> the the the, like the kids, that, not like you're saving money for kids' college or anything, right? <laughs> and yeah, my wife has no idea. <laughs> if if you want to find out how good a GT750 can sound, uh, there's there's I one do. that was called the the threesome. Uh, yeah. It was a project by Razzy Van somebody or other. But anyways, he's got a uh, a YouTube video of onboard riding it through his neighborhood. And it's yeah. just one of the 
best sounding motorcycles. It just has a great sound to it because you don't get that that air cooled ringing. Yeah, that's a super annoying sound. Yeah, uh, where the fins ring. Right. Yeah, and it's kind of a a little more guttural than than a a like a Kenny Roberts twin would be. Yeah, it, it, it they're just very cool motors. So yeah. I, well, bravo! Congratulations! It, it, a know, little jealous. Yeah, you know, relatively big. Well, I shouldn't even say it. it's a big displacement, water cooled triple. They they triples do sound really good. So, yeah. So uh, th- I'm not even going to touch this motorcycle for some time. This will probably be the last thing that I work on. Um, but for the price, I couldn't let it go after no, figuring no, out, no, you know, right. everything that's good about it after looking past everything that's bad. So, um, it's just kind of parked in my enclosed trailer, uh, along with a bunch of other projects and that's where it'll sit until I'm done with school. Cool. I, and, I'm, it's good to know that you can still get all the parts for that. Cause I know there, there are some other bikes that, yeah, that remarkable. are starting, uh, like for example, KZ 1300s. Mm-hmm. Uh, carb parts are getting really, really hard. Like the, the rubber CV diaphragms for them are getting yeah. really hard to find. Some of the electrical, uh, sorry, I'm going to change tracks on you. A really good example of this is Suzuki. Uh, they're like 370 and 400 cc thumpers. Uh, yeah. DR SP and the GN 400 street bike. They're kind of weird because they, are six volts, but they have CDI. So they've got mm-hmm. a six volt electronic CDI really unit, weird. which very, very few motorcycles. I've never have. even heard of that actually. Right. So it, and the problem is they don't make them anymore. There's no mm-hmm. new old stock and they're all going out. Yeah. And, uh, it's kind of like, uh, first couple years of the compact max, like, uh, uh, Macintosh plus. Yeah. A certain number of heating and cooling cycles and the analog board, just the, the solders start to fracture on the analog board and they act really flaky. There's nothing you can do about it. If you use, it's not like people are abusing them. They just, after a certain number of years, they go bad. Yeah. And either you take them apart and you resolder them or you just move on to something else. Well, this is the same thing, except these are, uh, a circuit board that's potted inside a metal case and spot welded shut. Mm. So you have to open up the case, like kind of can opener up the case and guys have gone in, scraped away all the potting material, figured out what was bad, tried to replace, I don't know, capacitors or whatever in there uh, and make them work with various amounts of success. Uh, some of the forms I've been reading about it, because I had a GN 400 years and years ago, and I would really like to have another one. They were neat little bikes. I kind of was, for years, had the idea of taking one and turning it from a little bit of a cruiser. You could use some some SP370 parts and turn it into more of a standard. And I was really excited about that, but I'm finding out that they're almost impossible to rebuild. People have looked for another alternative to it and really haven't been able to find anything that works. Yeah. And one guy on the ADV rider website even was going so far as to try and spec up and build for sale his own replacement design 
and worked on it long enough. He finally gave up and said, I can't make it work. Yeah. So these bikes are starting to turn into, uh, junk because you can't keep right. them running and, and yeah. nobody's figured out a, an alternative to this part and they're all going bad. You know, one guy I talked to said, uh, he bought one off eBay. It worked for six months and did exactly the same thing as his, you know, just lost spark the way his. Fortunately, it's not an intermittent thing. It's like one day it works and the next day it just doesn't. Yeah. So I, we, we can probably table this for a different, uh, a different show, but, um, someone needs to, or maybe it's just because people with motorcycles are just like cheap and don't want to spend money on older bikes and they don't see the reason, but the, the whole sloppy mechanics thing of adapting different weird things that makes it work. So like putting fuel injection on old, older motorcycles where we're running in the carb issues and things that work. So finding some kind, I mean, you can buy, uh, a mega squirt unit or a micro squirt mm-hmm. unit for 300 bucks that, that will act as the ECU and can do your fueling, your ignition and everything. But yeah. it's a matter of finding, uh, a throttle body and an injector and then figuring out the, the wiring to do it. And I think if someone could, if that industry, that like homebrew industry could, could start a motorcycles, that would save a lot of, a lot of this older stuff like you're talking about. I, I yeah. think the biggest problem is unlike cars, there, if you look at the seventies and eighties, which is kind of the, the era that we're looking at here, yeah. Japan incorporated produced so many models in such low volume that it was, you know, I'm not sure there's critical mass for any one particular design that no, and if you try to do something universal, there are universal micro squirt and mega squirt kits out there, but making them work on your particular machine is yeah. where the challenge is. And I know, um, I think we've talked about this before. There was, I think a couple people have built, uh, RZs with fuel injection and yeah. gotten them to work. Yeah, there's a few out there, but another problem you run into, especially with like those six volt bikes is that you need, not only do you need ignition, but you also need power output for lights and everything else. So you need to, right. You need to find out a way to incorporate uh, a new spark system, but also you need, you need your power too. So, you know, just, just adapting the, the mega skirt were to it isn't, isn't all enough, right? Because you still need a stator. Well, and that's um, the big problem with so many bikes is these stators go bad because they're in the engine and they get hot oil. Yeah. And yeah. and it f- either fries the wires or it mm-hmm. ruins the insulation on them. And or it, it, stators are a big problem. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of the 80s Yamahas have stator problems i know the yeah. the KZ, RZs have all kinds of stator problems yeah the, the kz 1300 tr- uh six cylinder has stator problems um cx 500s have stator problems and yeah. uh i know my little 125 honda the stator output is ridiculously bad because they're 40 year old magnets it was never yeah. good but 40 years later and it's such a small flywheel that you can't like put anything with more magnetism in there. And I've, I've, I've looked at the possibility of like some of the later, like XL 200s had nice output, but they have external flywheels 
So you need a whole different side cover and the taper's not the same on the crank. So you either have to machine your crank or put a new crank in it. And suddenly you're looking at just getting a whole new engine, you know, cause you can get a, right. get a, uh, CRF 230 F motor will, mm-hmm. will pretty much bolt into my chassis. And that would yeah. give you 12 volts, super high alternator output, but the, it's all got to work together. And the, mm-hmm. if you've got a car, yeah, I can go out with a, you know, if I don't like the alternator that's on my old flathead Ford, I can go buy a brand new GM alternator, bolt yep. it in there. Right. And it's and, say, someone like I say, someone's got it's a homebrew thing, and someone's got to figure out what works universally across everything. Which that's that's a lot of work, and that's someone with a whole lot of time on their hands. Yeah, yeah. I do know there there's a company that makes a new stator with higher windings for the 350 Honda Twins. That mm-hmm. is basically the same alternator, or excuse me, the same stator as my 125 and i emailed the guy and i said hey electrically there's they're the same can i put that in he goes the problem is all clearance i i cannot promise you this is a little bit wider one way a little bit thicker the other way is it gonna fit and is it going to interfere with you know something else under the side cover or you know have enough clearance in there for you to bolt the side cover on. He goes, I don't know. I haven't tried it. Yeah. It, it barely fits under a 350 twin side cover. We, we use every bit of space we had available for that bike, whether it's going to work in your bike or not. He said, I don't know. And it's an, it's a stator. I don't take them back. Once you put it in your bike, you go, don't get to send it back to me if it doesn't fit. I was like, ah, right. okay. So I, Right now, I'm just trying to do LED lights and and get my power needs as low as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's probably a good. I say that's probably it's about an hour. It's not like we're trying to fill an hour, but we've actually filled an hour, so it might be a yes. good place to kind of kind of stop for now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we will call that the December episode. And One of these December days we'll talk remember. about new bikes for 2019. Well, we can start the new year talking about new bikes. How about that for January? That sounds like a good we, idea. We did. We talked about some of the new bikes that came <clears throat> out back a mm-hmm. uh, couple months back. We haven't yet talked about the Panigale V4R no. with 221 horsepower. <laughs> <laughs> to the wheel. Yeah. And uh, 234 with Acropovic exhaust. Yeah. Then that's Ducati's claim. Yeah, yeah. That's not Acropovic's claim. Ducati says 234 with Acropovic. Yeah. So just throwing that out there. And and BMW building a 1800cc boxer for a custom bike that basically a one-off engine for this thing. So really? Yeah. So, yeah, a few things to talk about we can save up for, uh, for January. And the, uh, I've, I've been fascinated with the new BMW's new shift cam where they actually have two different cam profiles and the cam moves back and forth under the follower 
Well, we are Germans. We cannot have variable valve timing on one gap. We must have two because actuating extra lift with an X with the lifter, which is hydraulic, would make too much sense. Well, <laughs> actually, it, it, it's pretty cool yeah, when you, I, when you, on the new, I, I'm just, I'm making, what is it, I'm the 1150 the twin that has it. And the interesting thing is it's not a performance option. It's designed for, uh, when you're just cruising around town, it's, it's not RPM. It's, it's load on the engine activated so that they get better emissions and, mm. uh, better mileage and just cleaner running at low load. So whenever you, uh, you know, whack open the throttle and want it, it kicks over at any RPM. To bring in more air, so it's it's not a. Anyways, okay, we'll have to do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's for next time. So, uh, I do want to thank everybody who ever contacts us on our Facebook page or sends us an email or uh, writes a review or votes upvotes us on iTunes or whatever else. Uh, Definitely, if you are on Facebook, like our Facebook page, and uh, you're free to suggest a theme or a topic that you would like us to talk about. We're not opposed to talking about a specific subject if you tell us, tell us you're interested. And uh, with that, I think we'll sign off for another month, and we'll see you guys in January. <laughs>